Welcome to the Monster Baby Podcast, episode number 33. That's right. My name is Lisa Rowland. I'm Ted DeMaison. And we are your hosts for Monster Baby, a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. And on this podcast, we explore the wisdom of both mindfulness and improvisation, how they agree, where they might not agree, but the the wisdom that comes from both disciplines and how they might make how it might make your make your life uh, how it might offer you something spontaneity, joy, freedom, richness. Ease. Yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? Delight. You tell us. See for yourself. Yeah. So, in, <laughs> see for yourself. I heard that a lot this week. So in this week and this podcast episode. We're talking a lot about my experience. I just came back from an insight dialogue. A 10-day meditation retreat. Meditation retreat. Mostly silent. Yeah. In Western Massachusetts. And uh, we get into some of the stuff that came up there. And um, (laughs) the teacher, whenever he would give us an instruction, he'd say, but, you know, see for yourself. Such one of the great Buddhist principles. Try it out. Try it out. See for yourself. Don't take my word for it. No. So don't take our word on this podcast. Listen to it. Yeah. Check it out. In which case, you're kind of taking our word. You are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're not going to tell you if you like it or not. See for yourself. Yeah. But yeah, we talk all about the... the, I would say that the defining piece of this... The the piece that you brought from the retreat are these six principles of how we sort of want to approach things, Mm -hmm. experiences... And then uh, we get into a little problem that I had with the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah. listen yeah. for that about halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> it gets juicy. <laughs> and then we talk about the way we construct ourselves and who are we. And Yeah. Yeah. You'll see. It's all sort of interesting. We'll but see. We hope you like it. We hope you do. And if you do, uh, send us a note, which we give you information on how to do that at the end. And if you don't, keep it to yourself. Keep I'm it to yourself. Kidding. I'm just kidding. Or tell somebody else. You can tell us. Okay. All right. Here we go. Without further ado. Episode number 33. Kick it off. So I have so many questions for you. Yeah. And I haven't heard... So Ted, dear listeners, has just returned from a 10-day... Insight Dialogue. Insight Dialogue Retreat. Not totally silent. Yeah. A meditation retreat. It's a meditation retreat and mostly silent... Not entirely because you're having some dialogue, dialogue, but it's structured dialogue that is intended as a meditation. And you did vocal warm-ups every day. Yeah, I snuck off into the woods to do vocal warm-ups every day. Oh, did you sneak off? Yes. For your dirty secret. Yeah. I checked in with the, with the leader beforehand, but I said, you know, does this go against the spirit? I wasn't talking, so... You know, the, like could to somebody. Yeah, I think that the point of the silence is not about. Well, there's a little bit about not making sounds. Yeah. But it's mostly about not getting pulled into relationship and social story making and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, all the emotional pleasures of that, right? right. So my making. So here's a question. Sounds in the woods is you know. Yeah. Me me mamo mu. That's not about like, ooh, I'm socially connected now. Right, right, right. Uh. What did the, your vocal warm-ups give you, given that you were not talking? Yeah. Like, like what benefits do your vocal warm-ups give you? For me, that's a... Beyond your voice. A commitment to the practice that I'm developing. It's sort of like an ongoing practice. Got it. And so if I take 10 days off, I lose ground. Yeah. In both my development, my subtlety around that, and I can tell it's very different in my voice. Yeah. And I was talking enough that it felt good to warm up and have my voice be healthy. And because we were 
more refined in our sensation by the end of the 10 days, I was also able to enjoy my voice. Mm. Like, oh, this is how I'm making this sound with my tongue. And this is what the breath feels like coming from my belly and moving past my vocal cords and Mm -hmm. much more aware of it. Cool. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. But it was, it was almost all silence and it. And at the end, it's really interesting because when you come back, uh, for me, you need adjustment. Yeah. You know, like the last, the, the breakfast on the last day, our guideline that the teacher gave us, his name is Gregory Kramer, by the way, was to say, I'm going to invite you to speak if you want to at breakfast with each other, but to have your conversation be directed. So on topic. So either to talk about what is your experience of energy in this moment? How is the speaking changing your relationship to energy in your body and your mind? What's happening? Or to speak about entanglements. And what do you notice about entanglement of coming back into Mm. a vocal world? And leave your conversation with that. So you're not getting into chit chat. You're not planning what you're going to do. You're not finding out about each other's lives, you know, other than what's here and now. Yeah. And that transition felt really important. Mm -hmm. I've been on other, like a one day silent retreat where we left it by whispering to each other. That also felt helpful. 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 Yeah. Like there's a. You got a little halfway halfway point. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the gradual reentry. Because it's partly the volume that's shocking. Uh-huh. A couple of times I went into the kitchen to ask for something during the week, right? And you know, just yeah. use minimal words. But do you know if there's any sugar in this in the chutney? Yeah. <laughs> and there was one woman who was working who I think was new. Who was loud? Who was loud? She'd be like, "No, I don't think there's any. No, 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 no not that I'm aware." Like, of. Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> so part of it is just the simple volume, but it's also the pull to just propel into conversation and get yeah. rolling. Yeah. Right. So that was good, and then I took, I had a really nice time of being able to stay for the first five hours after the retreat, and just chill at the center and go for a walk and sit with friends that I had met and we did a meditation before we drove. It was, it was really nice to have that transition time. So aside from the transition, what was the, what were your, uh, tell me about the retreat. Okay. So this whole thing is called insight dialogue. And one of the things I love about it is that it's taking meditation and mindfulness into relationship. Great. So usually when people are developing mindfulness skills, uh, meditative qualities of the mind, tranquility, ease, awareness, they're doing it as a solo thing. Right. And that's largely, I think, a factor of our Western interpretation of Buddhism. Like, we are so individually focused, we think of it as this is just a personal thing. Is that, do people in the non-Western world not practice? It's much more much more community related. Really? Yeah, I don't know about this particular but like the image of Buddha is like he went off into the woods and sat under a tree. Oh, he taught by himself. he taught students all the time. Yeah, he did, and he had students around him all the time. Yeah, while and he was doing that, or like after, or after he reached enlightenment. Right, right. I mean, so it's yeah, yeah. That's surprising, right? Because it feels like that. That's what it's like. You close your eyes, like Zen Buddhism. Right. You like close your eyes. You do this thing. I mean, you're in a room together, 
But you're not talking. So the, Right, not talking. So this is a really interesting piece of it is to say, how do we integrate this into the rest of our lives? Yeah. And that we are so finely tuned for emotional, for human connection. Right. And connection with our environments. How do you bring this kind of awareness and quality of mind into those experiences? Mm -hmm. So you have internal awareness, you have external awareness, and then you have awareness of the space between or the relationship between. Mm -hmm. So the talking comes out of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love that notion. Yeah. And this teacher, you know, so he's talking about the meditative qualities of mind and relationship, each of which is valuable in its own. And he also talks a lot about the wisdom of the Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha and of Buddhism, and that you have to have all three of those together, that if you don't have all three, you can slip into some dangers or problems, right? With Without the wisdom of the teachings, that combination of relationship and mindful qualities can be lovely, delicious, like we're really present for our conversation, but can get a little syrupy or like self-indulgent or... You know, how do you ground it in, oh, we're remembering that this is about challenging notions of self and it's about noticing impermanence and then uh-huh. what happens when we bring that this experience into that. Uh-huh. So anyway, so the, the retreat was this delicious experience of moving in between silence and solitude and being with other people. And so there's enough variety. It's really a nice fit for my psyche, my personality. Yeah. Because I feel nourished, but also my inner world feels nourished. Yeah. This is not extraneous talking. It's not... Right. There's not wasted talking. Yeah. And so it becomes really precious. Yeah. The talking does. Yeah. Yeah. And more meaningful. Yeah. Not always, but the, the humor has a, has a neat cast to it as well. <laughs> I'm just remembering... Uh... The what has a neat cast to it? The humor. The humor that shows up. The humor. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about humor. A lot of laughing. A lot of laughing. Because you're pausing to notice things that are real. And sometimes what's real is something that's just actually really funny. Right. I feel like this is what this is what comedians do. Yeah. Because they like notice the world in ways that normal people don't. Yeah. And then they say that and it's like, that that is that's that weird. Is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It's totally weird. Um I'm remembering a Casper Hauser sketch. Do you know Casper Hauser? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Casper Hauser is a sketch comedy group, uh, including our friend Dan Klein, who is a phenomenal human being, improviser, teacher, storyteller, and and comedian. And he so he writes the, as a part of the sketch group. And they had a sketch about these monks who had taken a vow of silence. <laughs> right. Yes. But then they have like ten minutes. It's been years or a year or something. They have 10 minutes in which they can talk. And so it's like all the stuff that they want to say after a year or years of silence or whatever. They decide to order a pizza (laughs) with their 10 minutes. Have you seen this? I have seen it. I saw it last year. And of course, the... They like trying to figure out what kind. They're like spend their ten minutes like negotiating about ordering this pizza, and then they call. They make the call. They're like, "This is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. We're gonna get this pizza." And they make the phone call, and they and the ten minutes is up right when the person says, "Great, what kind of pizza will you have?" And then they have, they can't talk anymore. They have to go silent again. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there are times when the bell rings when you're like coming to an end of a sharing period, and the bell rings. And you're like, oh. Guess we're done. Yeah. 
Yes, we're done. But um, yeah, so before we started recording, you asked me about how I was feeling. I said, I kind of feel locked in. Yeah. Like I'm at a higher, deeper level of awareness. I'm more tuned into what's happening in my body and my surroundings. And then you said, okay, so I'm more locked in. And you said, to, for what? To what end? And that's a great question because I'm well, not sure. Well, you said, I'm more locked in. And I said, to what? And yeah. ultimately, you landed on to sort of be the experience of being alive. Yeah, awareness. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What for? Why Why does yeah, that and I think matter? The for, I think the for what is it, partly it feels good. It feels good in a real good way. Uh-huh. And that's a lot of what we talked about. Like, what's the difference between satisfying hungers temporarily that ultimately aren't satisfied permanently permanently Mm -hmm. and dropping into this way of being that's just kind of like yeah it's satisfying in a different way so there's there's that kind of quiet pleasure yeah i think there's also a sense of this is kind of what we're designed for this way of being like more tuned in, more, oh, I'm really here. It feels like it fits the human organism that I've been given, whatever the eye is that's been given something. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to inhabit this world. Yeah. In a way that fits some larger natural order or something. Huh, yeah. I, and I had a more, more of that experience on this retreat than on any other retreat I've been on. Hmm. Which doesn't surprise me because it's the longest one I've been on. Hmm. So, and it's also this mix of solitude and conversation right. that is, yeah, particularly delicious. Yeah, and I often was thinking about. I wonder how Lisa would do on this. Mm, me too. You know, because I I imagine the. I imagine you'd love it, and. You'd you'd get to see the ways uh, your mind is so quick it's just electrifying to hang out with you because of that and like you know what happens when you pause and oh where's it going why is it going you know Mm -hmm. but to also have the chance to be interactive yeah be really cool yeah be really cool but but i i thought it would be really fun to talk about today on the podcast because there were some principles that we went through and some analogies yeah. that I thought, oh, I really want to share those with Lisa cool. and with listeners. And I'm really curious about how they apply to improv, mm. if if they apply to improv. Yeah, great. So there are six principles that this guy sort of teaches by. And the way you do it is you he talks about one of the principles and then you get to experience it in a dyad. It gives you a contemplation topic. And you kind of go back and forth and each speak for a little bit. And then sometimes you're both speaking at the... You're back and forth. You're not taking turns. Yeah. yeah. And so the first one, which is totally basic, makes sense, is pause. P-A-U-S-E. Not monster baby podcasts, P-A-W-F. <laughs> uh, and so the notion is that whatever you're doing, you just take a break. So it might be in your thinking, it might be in your speech. It might doesn't have to necessarily be a temporal pause, but it's like a, let me just, oh, right, let me come back to being aware of this. And that feels very familiar from meditation. Yeah. Right? But it's, it's These like... These are principles of... Of insight dialogue. Of insight dialogue. Yeah. And so that pause has a quality of just returning, just coming back. 
and chilling out and then noticing what's there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love how he talks to Gregory. He'll say, pause. Pause. You know, and you you really sink into it. Mm -hmm. The second one is relax. And so different from other meditation, some meditation or mindfulness things I've been in, it's like there's not an intention of relaxation. It's a byproduct. But here, to say, well, let's just chill out. Once you pause, now you just kind of relax and you notice is there anywhere in your body that's tense and invite that to relax. Mm-hmm. But it's also relaxing the mind. So he says, relax is to the body as accept is to the mind. Hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So whatever you're thinking, can you accept it? So you relax. So if I'm like noticing, oh, shoot, my mind is really wound up. Like, okay, can I accept that? It's wound mm-hmm. up. Yeah. You know, and you, so you kind of sink into that and, and let, that, let that go. The third is open. So now that you've paused and you've relaxed a little bit, you then, then you, can you open to your experience? What are you noticing internally, wherever it is, and externally? So I'm sitting here. You're sitting there. I see you or I see the environment. I see what's around us. Mm-hmm. We're in your apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I might hear cars outside or whatever. And then what do I notice about the space between us? Yeah. They all, they all three go together. Those three go together. Pause, relax, open. They just... <sighs> yeah. You know, sink into the moment. Get here. Get here, like that. Yeah, get here now. Just be here. Yeah. Chill out. And then the fourth, which to me is the most improv-like of the six, is called trust emergence. Mm. So I was like, yeah, I know how to do this. I like it. <laughs> when I first heard it, I, I thought, oh, yeah, cool. This is like improv. And then I realized it's a little different. In that, he's encouraging people to pay attention to the nature of change, which is one of the fundamental Buddhist truths. Well, a fundamental truth that the Buddhists point out, (laughs) that change is a quality of life. Mm -hmm. Trust emergence asks you to sort of just sink into noticing how things are changing, perceptions, emotions, thoughts, rising, falling, and to noticing that we don't know what's coming next. So when we're in conversation, I don't know what you're going to say next. I don't know what I'm going to say next. Might have an idea, but if I pay attention, it's probably going to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. Fifth one is listen deeply. Listen. I think of it as listening with your heart, but you know you've got all these four things you've done before. Now you're really ready to be there, listening to the musicality of your partner, listen to their body language, mm-hmm. pausing in your own listening, right? So that they, they, they kind of fold in on each other. Like, what does it mean to pause when you're listening? Oh, I was starting to prepare a response. Let me pause on that. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I think I know what they're saying. Let me pause on my thinking I know mm-hmm. and come back to just being there. And then the last one is speak the truth. Truth being your subjective experience. What's true for you in this moment? Uh not trying to claim some larger truth for everybody, not advising or improving somebody else's thing, but just like, what's true for you here and now? And it's allowing that speech to come out of all that other stuff. So I pause, relax, open, trust the emergence. I sense something coming up. I listen for it. 
I discern now, do I need to say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me say this, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's this kind of slow process, and then you speak. So the dyads, when you're in dyad, doing a dialogue, could be really slow, right? You don't get going, and even if you do get going, then you pause. Right, okay, so now I want to continue along mm-hmm. this line. Yeah. It's really fun. Wow. Yeah, a very different way of... Communicating. Communicating and of meditating. Yeah. Right? So to sit with another person and have those kinds of conversations that are slower, they might not be slower because maybe that's what's in the moment. But then eventually you sort of catch your breath and you pause again. Like, Oh, yeah. What's happening in my body? Oh, there's my heart. Or, oh, I got some tension behind my shoulders. And you might say that out loud and then you come back to the topic. Yeah. And I thought of you and the work you do with Improv Playhouse of San Francisco because Mm -hmm. all of the folks who are in that group are so able to let silence be there. And it seems like to have what shows up on stage just come out of this larger silence. You know, it's arising naturally. Mm -hmm. Ideally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it, it often appears that way. Yeah. That was one of the things about Listen Deeply. Can you listen so well and be so present that that listening is what leads to the other person's speech. Yeah. Kind of a cool notion. It's yes and. Say more about that. Well, just like... Yeah, I, I, I have a sense of that too, but I'm curious to hear how you uh, see the connection. The way that we teach it in, in exercises like Remember Mexico, Remember That Time we, where you build a memory with a partner and you're tasked with, you know, you start with some offer. Remember, remember that time we went camping. And then your partner says yes, and and then builds upon it. So if so, remember that time we went camping. Oh yeah, that we were down in Big Sur, along the coast. Yes, along the coast, and we had that campsite right on the cliff, looking down over the water. Oh my God, looking down over the water, we could see the waves and the and the uh, the whales. Yes, and there was a whole pod of whale. Right, so we so we go back and forth. But the the challenge is to have your yes and build precisely on your partner's previous offer. And not on the general idea of what you're talking about. So if you said yes, and we saw that pot of whales, and then I said yes, and we, we did that amazing hike. That's not quite It's not connected. building on the whale offer. It's building on the camping offer, the right. general camping offer, but it doesn't build on exactly what I got from my partner. Yes. And so that idea of, ideally, your offer, which means you really can't develop too much of an expectation about where this is going because you haven't heard your partner's next offer yet. Love it. Yeah, so that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, that's really tuning into that like unpredictability. Like moment by moment. Yes. And then exercises like word at a time forces you to do, you You have no option. That's right. You must, you must yeah. pay attention to what your partner just yeah. said. Although some people still don't, and they sort of disregard the rules of grammar to get their idea in. Yeah, shoehorning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, but I, for the most part, you just have to pay momentary attention. Yeah. Which is hard. It's so thrilling. Yeah. Oh, I love it when it happens. Yeah. Both in improv and in life. Yeah. He used this... What's thrilling w- about it? Another good question. I, I so love shared creation. Yeah. It's become like one of my favorite things in the world in the last three years as I've been teaching it more. It's just so thrilling to put something into the world, have somebody else meet it, and we're constructing this reality together. Yeah. And there it is. 
have said, we've said it many times. Like we couldn't, I see me in it, but I couldn't have done it. It's not all me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so satisfying. And so to take that from the gross level of doing that on an improv scene to the micro level of what's happening in this conversation. Oh yeah. Or a single breath. I mean, it's what makes conversations exciting in my, like that's like what I look for in a conversation is like, Okay, like we get into this and then we just see and then we like respond to each other and we see where we go and we discover what the conversation is. And it's not about me reporting the information that I have to you, right? which is, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like what it's living, then it's living. Yeah. And it couldn't be put in an essay. Right. You know, and that's the. Or maybe after the fact. It could. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It's like, yeah. I, I can't get the same thing from reading your thoughts as I could from being in a conversation because we couldn't have had that conversation right. without me being a part of it. Yes. Yeah. I, I mentioned that about an, about an essay because one of the dynamics I had on this retreat, Yeah. I found myself always wanting to write down stuff that came up in the dialogues. Yeah. Because like, that would make a great blog post. Yeah. It creates this natural excitement of like, oh, this is a cool way of saying this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think the same thing happens in, in conversation, like with, with our podcast. Like, wow, I, we, we got to something right, new. I had never thought about that before. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and here it was like coming down to little micro levels of the details of a particular moment. Like, oh, if I breathe that way. I tend, or if I sit, if I'm sitting this way, I'm leaning on my right butt cheek. How yeah. does that change my experience of being with this person? I, so I have to say something. Yes, please. This I am having a feeling. Yes. Oh yes. And and it's a familiar feeling. And uh, and I I fight with my own skepticism. Yeah. Because I'm having a lot of like, oh god, mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. To be totally honest, I'm like sitting on this, and I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up. Yes, this is perfect. Because there, I'm like equal parts like, God, that would be fascinating to do. And I like wonder what I would get access to by doing that. And there's just other part that feels navel gazy about it. Yeah. That's like, if you're thinking about which part of your butt cheek you're sitting on while we're having a conversation, then like, where, why aren't you in the conversation with me? Right. Why are you in your butt cheeks? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was only in one. For instance. <laughs> or like, oh, yeah. I'm going to be really mindful of how I'm breathing while we talk. And I'm like, don't fucking pay attention to how you're breathing. Pay right. attention to me. Like, we're in a conversation, so build this thing. Yeah. And I like, and maybe that's like a, maybe it's a first and then sort of thing of like, well, we need to like isolate this piece of experience in order to hone our ability to notice. Right. In the same way that we do drills and improv classes that aren't ultimately how we want scenes to go. Yeah. And in, and in improv, right, it's like... The class is to build tools and skills. When inspiration takes over, fucking let inspiration tell you what to do. Right. It's not the time to be like, mm, now it's this. Now it's this skill that I'll use. I mean, sometimes, but I feel like the times when I'm really paying attention to the skills that I'm using are when I gotta work. Right. It's right, like when when the, when, when the yeah. show is not just like telling itself. Right. And then it's like, oh, okay, I see. It's be- like when I start analyzing the show. Yeah. It means I'm not really in it because something's not working. Yeah. And so then I'm like, okay, pull on your skills. Like, right. oh, we don't have relationships we care about. What's missing here? How do I do? You know, like what needs to happen next? But when things are just flowing, right? And ideally you've done the prep in the 
studio and the rehearsal and, and the workshop, yeah, the workshop, so that you have access to those tools yeah. for when things aren't going well. But like, there's this, it's right. So there's this part of I think there's this part of me that is like resistant. Sure. And it is met by a part of me that's like, yeah, well, that probably means there's something in this for you, mm. right? Like, so I'm like really aware of both of these things. Yeah. But the resistant part of me is like, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I feel so locked in and I'm like, good for you. What about the world? You right? know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're really locked into like what your breath is doing. Like, I love this. A yeah. life is happening yeah. all around you. And, I, and then I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, well. But the more, but but the more attention we have access to, the more of life we get to experience, and that that I'm into, right? It's like I get to like experience all of it, you know, and that is a worthy like I get a that, noble, noble you know. Cause, yeah. But I'm just like, where is this line between like I go away, and you're like, hmm, and I pause, and I'm like, what if you don't want to pause? What if you're like on a jag with somebody? Don't fucking pause. This is so fun. You know what I mean? So like, where does the where does like like. Don't pause. Don't pause. Keep going. Right. You know. Right. So that's okay. That's my thing. How do you respond? What's your? What's your? My first response is I love it. I I appreciate you saying it both because I think it's interesting. Yeah. And it's exquisite. That's a great example of doing the practice. Like so, you were noticing a dynamic that was coming up. Yeah. You took a moment. You didn't just say it right off. You like allowed it to something. I felt like you were still listening to me. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I need to speak this. Yeah. And so you spoke it. It was perfect. Like, yeah. You know? And absolutely, I totally have that uh, question in me too. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's a lot of it is sort of developing a skill, developing neural pathways to kind of Okay, how can I do this? Because when I get into the intensity of a conversation or the world, uh, so much more complex, so much more information coming. If I don't have it grounded, I'm never going to be able to stay present. Right? Yeah. But so here's here's an interesting question coming back to, to this moment here with us right now. Yeah. So I'm describing that I'm, I'm feeling more sensitive and more tuned in in general. Are you experiencing me as present, particularly present in this conversation? Or or not? I don't. I'm not noticing a difference. Not noticing a difference. Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like you're pretty pre- Like you're a pretty present. Mm-hmm. You show up mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. Yeah. I feel more present in this conversation. Yeah. I feel like I'm listening. I'm I'm thinking less about other things when you're talking. Uh-huh. Like I'm le- thinking less about what is my response. Yeah. Or even like, oh, she said that. I think she means this. Or, <clears throat> oh, that. It's just like I'm just hanging out with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So it feels very different to me. Yeah. For me, the pause isn't like a, this noble, monastic, you know, ma, now I'm Well, pa- and you said, like, it doesn't need to be temporal. So it doesn't yeah. slow down necessarily. Right. Yeah, it's more like just kind of check, come back. Yeah. Come back to being here. Yeah. And sometimes it is temporal and something else shows up. Right. Right? So it's like, oh... In any sentence, I can get rolling and rolling. I'm just saying I'm not even, it's just coming out. And I'm, I'm like, well, wait, what needs to be said next? And just that little micro moment can, oh, there's something else. Yeah. So, yeah, it feels like a really fine thread to balance between yeah. full presence and navel gazing. Like, you know. Right. 
And to some extent, it's like, yeah, you pull away, from, you retreat from the world to develop a skill. To develop a skill. These are conditions that allow you to experience a sensitivity right. that you just can't get to. While you're handling all the distractions of That's the world. Right. It's just, there's too much information. Right, right. So you, and I guess in the same way that in the same way that I, we talk about improv exercises, it's like I'm not saying that this is how you should do improv all the time. Exactly. And it's like this isn't how you ought to be all the time. Right. Yeah, and so another uh, another thing that. But like, have the skills, and the skills bleed over. Into everything. Yes. Yeah. One thing that came up on the retreat that I thought was really important was. Gregory was talking about how if we go into meditation or mindfulness thinking it's supposed to be a certain way. Yeah. Right? So I think, oh, I'm supposed to feel calm or I'm supposed to be quiet. I'm supposed to take long pauses or whatever it is. We're creating a tension around that expectation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not that way, like, oh, my mind is going all over the place today. I'm not meditating well. That tension is going to create more tense thoughts, more anger, more upset. Mm-hmm. It's like the point is to be with whatever's there. So if I can relax, pause, relax, open to whatever's there Happening. in that moment. Yeah. That's the kind of meditation that prepares us for living in the real world. Yeah. Whereas if we're only doing the kind of meditation where I just want calm, I just want tranquility and nothing else, when we go into the real world, it can't work. You know. So tell me how your work on the retreat showed up for you on this harrowing journey home where your plane was delayed and you had a horrible Uber driver or whatever. Right. Like, what was going on for you? Like, were you able to be like, oh, this is what this is right now. Yeah. So I'm going to relax and open to this and this is going to be the journey that I'm on. Yeah. Or like, you know, I mean, it sounds like it was a frustrating journey home, but I'm interested in what that that conversation with yourself was like. Right, yeah. It didn't get hyper frustrating because I was able to catch myself. Yeah. With the flight, they kept changing back and forth between like, we're on a two hour delay. No, we found a crew. We're going to be leaving in 20 minutes. Oh no, we're back to an hour delay. It seems very fitting for change is the only constant. Yes. So you're like, oh, I better not get attached to anything. That's right. Because well, maybe I'll board now, maybe I won't. And so I, I kind of kept chuckling about it yeah. rather than getting pissed off. That's funny. And I was like, yeah, this really is shifting. Now, I also had to pay attention to my food situation. Yeah. Because I had was planning to get food on the plane. Right. Well, you know, now we're leaving two hours late. I better eat something. So going and they don't have anything at this shop. They don't have any at this shop that I can eat, to, you know. But again, just kind of catch my breath like, okay, well, well, let me go down and sit at the counter at Legal Seafoods and... See? See what shows up. See what's there. Yeah. I felt like I was more tuned into my surroundings. So when I was waiting, one time I was sitting in my seat and I noticed these two women come by and they were looking for a seat. I normally probably wouldn't have noticed them. But I said, oh, would you like me to move over? Mm-hmm. I moved over and they sat next to me, you know. I felt more open to conversations with people than I usually would be. Mm. And more open to their ending. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't trying to meet somebody think of something to say or yeah and in general my mind was just quieter on the yeah it wasn't like oh i have to play a game on my phone or oh i have to check my email or i was like no i'll read yeah or not 
not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it sounds awesome. The, the, the biggest thing that I, so the biggest change that I've made in my life that I feel like pokes at this a little bit is I've, I charge my phone out here. In, your living in the room. living room and not in my bedroom. At night. Overnight. Mm -hmm. And my alarm is an alarm clock. It's not my phone. Yeah. And so when I wake up, I have like a couple of snooze rounds of just like being in my room and I'm kind of awake and the cats are generally there and I just kind of think about the day and and I am where I am. And it is a striking difference. Yeah. From when my phone is next to my bed and the first thing I do is I go get my phone and see if there's any notifications that have come through and see what those are and who's saying what and start things up right away. And it's like, I love it when my phone, when I don't put my phone. Yeah. How come? What's the, what is the difference besides just the energetic of it? I feel like a phone is a portal to anywhere but here. Mm. It takes you anywhere, but it takes you everywhere but here. It takes you to the White House. It takes you to your friends. It takes you to to what your friend saw on Instagram. It takes you to what they're saying and plans. It takes you to your calendar. It takes like it anywhere but here. And it's just like in the same way of like it just feels like I can get grounded in my life mm -hmm. and intentional about what I want this day to be, and therefore living life in a more focused way. Mm -hmm. That makes me feel, right? It's like you, if you follow this down, like, well, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? It's like, well, okay, so it makes me feel more present in my world because I spend more time paying attention to my world, my moment, than I do paying attention to the White House or whatever in, yeah. in that moment. And, and then I can be a more, like, it's how I want to go through the world yeah. is like, yep, like from a, from a grounded, centered place. And if I start out being pulled somewhere else, I have given up on grounded centered right away. Yeah, you're splintered right I'm, off the bat. Right off the bat. I'm somewhere else. And for somebody who is an improviser, it's like presence is like number one. Like you show up in this moment with me right now. Yep. And if I can't even do that in my life, then I'm also like hypocritical uh, yeah. <laughs> in a little way, you know? Yeah. And so the idea of just like waking up into my life before I wake up into other people's lives. It's reminded me of the coming out of retreat. So they're coming out of this space of sleep and dreams and mythology and this kind of veiled netherworld between... Consciousness you know. and... Yeah. yeah. And so to give yourself a little bit of time to have that whispered conversation yeah. before jumping in. Oh, like just like being in my... Like noticing is it light outside and where are mm. we and what happens today and what time is it and what is that... What is that? Make some coffee. You know, just like just like kind of think about where I'm at yeah. and what needs to happen next. Um and that also helps me from like letting things slip through the cracks because those those are the moments where it's like oh yeah these were the things that I yeah. wanted to do and like it like lets things sort of surface in right. my mental landscape yep. that otherwise just don't it's like they nothing surfaces because I'm tied into other people's yeah. shit yeah. you know yeah. which is stuff that I want like one of my little I like wake up. And then when I like make my way out to the kitchen and feed the cats who are inevitably screaming at me, which happens immediately <laughs> upon when I get out of bed, they're like, she's up, meow, 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 feed us, feed us. That's so funny. But I feed them and then I turn NPR up first on, which is like a 12 minute news digest while I make my coffee. So it's like, it's not that I don't want to know what's going on in the world. I just don't want it like immediately upon opening my eyes, you know? Well, and it's at a certain pace. Yeah. 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 And I'm not just like, oh, like the next 
the next, like this next notification has come up and this next thing. And you know, it's like, I, I want to, that's the way I want to hear it. So it's like on my terms and phones are so, I mean, like technology is designed rather these products, Facebook, the, even the iPhone notifications, things like that, products, apps are designed to play upon your, like our addictive tendon, like our addictive behaviors. And I was talking to a friend of mine who talked about the attention economy, the fact that we have limited attention and we need to take control over where we put it. Mm. That's actually a really valuable thing to think about. It's like, yeah. we, like I'm going to use my attention in the way that I would like to, not in the way that this app on my phone has decided I should use it. That's right. The algorithm that they've got for... For where my for like when I need another hit, so that when it's going to keep me to keep coming back and pay more attention, and like oh, it feels good to be ref- have to have this thing refresh and show yeah. me new information, and and it just is a it's mindless. Yeah. Um, just because it like plays on this like deep part of your brain that feel that feels good when you get it, but it's not this deep, good feeling that you're talking about of like oh no. Yeah. It's it's slot machines. This is this is. One of the biggest things we talked about was the way that our cravings work. Mm-hmm. You, like you're right in there right now with what mm-hmm. you're saying, we, because Buddhism talks about three kinds of cravings, and one of them is very surprising. Was surprising to me. So one is just the craving for pleasure, and the, and the aversion to pain. But like, I want things that feel good. Yeah. Food, touch, music, soft things. You know. Yeah. Um, Drugs, beauty, alcohol, right? That, yeah. Well, yeah. Or do those count as well, a separate? There may be some other dynamics in there that, that are going on with those too. But some of those are there are biological reasons for them, like that we want to eat helps us stay alive. Right. That hunger feels crappy helps us stay alive. That sex feels good helps, helps keep the species going. Yeah, right. yeah. But so we can get pulled that way, and then the second primary hunger we have is the hunger for being or becoming and it's like being seen being recognized like mommy mommy look at me oh being witnessed being witnessed and so facebook is like super powerful for that for that yeah yeah right i mean so it's like 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 (gasps) how many likes does this photo have yeah and it's so going right into that primary yeah. thing. But the thing about these hungers is that the more, well, in some ways, the more you feed them in a certain way, the more they continue and grow. Mm-hmm. But the third hunger, this is the one that's surprising to me, is the hunger for not being. So... Uh, Dulling the... Like, there's too much stuff happening in the world there's there's so many senses so many perceptions and things happening that it's just too painful it's too vulnerable if i'm fully open to that it's like it's going to blow me apart and i lose my sense of self right and so in order to protect my sense of self i have this desire to close off and say hermit yeah exactly let me just go off over here or in patsy rodenberg language first circle yeah i'm just going to Turn in. Check out. Check out. Meditation can be a way of meeting that that hunger. It's interesting. Right? To retire. Like, depends on the motivation. Are you meditating to retire or are you meditating to, to get more present with coming back in? Right. As we were just kind of talking about. Yeah. So this was like, wow. And I realized I have, what well, we all do, both of those hungers hugely. I want people to say, I want to be known. <laughs> I want to be respected. I want to be loved and included, and 
uh, yeah, the world is tough. Mm -hmm. And I often like, no, I'll just kind of get my little corner over here and let the chaos go on and Out maybe there. it won't reach me. Yeah. But it will reach me. Yeah. You know. But so Facebook, I think, does all of those things. It gives us a pleasure of colors and patterns and videos and humor and... New information and, and, yeah, and messages. And, and kind of if it's racy, it's like stimulating sexual lust yeah. stuff and, you know, emotional. Kind of, but then it's also got the social bonding. You're which, seen, you're witnessed. You're witnessed and... And, and it's can, also a really great way to check out and not pay attention exactly. to stuff. Exactly. Wow. It's the wild? big three. Yeah, big three. And so the pleasure... That's crazy. That, the, that Buddhist teachings are pointing to is when you let go of those hungers or at least lessen them, something else arises naturally that is a deeper, quieter, steadier joy from being present. Yeah. From engaging, like I'm a partner with life. I'm here in this mix. Something's happening through us. I'm not us. being driven by these cravings. And because of that, I'm not, locked, I'm not tied into the sense of me. Right, because the cravings are about me. Like I want this. I want this. And, yeah, you know. So it's like if I loosen that up, what if I didn't want so much? Maybe I could just be present. Yeah, and that would be nice. He gave these analogies that were so powerful to me that really are motivating me to say, "Can I give up these hungers more?" Yeah. Apparently, the Buddha said this in a lecture. He said, "When you renounce these hungers, it is like." when you have a disease and you finally get healthy. It is like when you've been in debt and you finally get it paid off. It's like if you've been in prison and you're released. Uh -huh. It's like if you're traveling through a really dangerous territory and you cross to the other side where you've finally gotten past the robbers and the brigands. and the, Yeah. It's like this feeling of, oh. Yeah. And the first two I totally responded to. Because when I finally, when I got out of debt, when I was younger, I just felt like I could go anywhere and do anything. Yeah. Because I didn't owe anybody right. anything. You're like out from under something. Thank goodness. Yeah. And then when I, um, <laughs> when I was 19, I had, this might be too much information, but oh, I, had, I had a urinary infection that turned into a prostate infection. Oh, gosh. Super painful. Yeah. Every time I peed, it was just like Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, man. But when I finally got medicine and I finally started getting better, the first time that I could pee without pain was just like highlight of the life. Glory! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I still remember that. So that's now. interesting. I feel like the thing that that's making me think of is that idea of, oh, how hard it is to see your lens. Yeah. And people walk around needing to fill these myself included, we walk around with a desire to fill these needs, to have these needs met and think that that's just what life is. Yes. And they take up most of our focus. Yep. And it's like, whoa, what would, what if you didn't need to do those things? Yep. What would become available? Yeah. Where would your energy go? Where would your attention go? Like you were just it's like saying. like this attention economy, right? It's like we have a finite, we have a finite resource of attention. Yep. So if if seventy percent of it is going to making sure you're seen, making sure you're you know what like all the things, yep. making sure you feel good. What yeah? Where aren't you paying attention? Right. 
Where aren't you giving your attention? So most of that stuff we do, I think, this is what we talked about this week, was it's about the self. This notion, like, it's about constructing some identity that we think will keep us safe. So it's like, what if I'm okay without that? What right. if I'm okay without that? Yeah, what if that's not so real? Right, so it's like in every conversation we're building our identity. Then what if you like still want a brownie? You still get to have a brownie. Sure. Can you can you have a brownie and have it point you to greater awareness, to greater presence? So yeah, you have the pleasure, you experience it, but you're really there for it. Yeah. Rather than I'm this is going to help blah, me. Blah, blah, this blah, is going to help me feel. And then feel like what, what next? Yeah, <laughs> you right. know? yeah. It's like oh, I want a brownie. I'll have a brownie. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah. I had a brownie. Right. <laughs> And it's done now. And, and it's not a... And, and now I've... Yeah, it's done. I've had the experience and we're good to go. Yeah. That was another thing. Yeah. What if you can turn these urges and pleasures towards the direction of becoming more present? Rather or, than more than... Rather than the other direction of like right. more reactive. Well, but so... can I, So I hate the idea of using a brownie to become more aware. I like the idea of bringing all your awareness to the brownie. So what's the difference? I, I, I get it. And Appreciate I'm, the brownie with all of your presence. The brownie... Full there. I don't... I'm like, don't use the brownie to become more aware. The brownie is enough on its own. It doesn't need to be a tool for your increased yeah. presence. The brownie is like, love this brownie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think you're... What I hear in that is what you're, the preference you're describing... Like, that's the point you want to get to. Yeah. Eventually. And that for most people, they need the reminder of, like, turn the turn the motivation to something more wholesome or noble so that you're not getting pulled into the brownie again. Uh. Right? So it's like there's a discipline. This is what I think Gregor was saying about why you need that wisdom component to remember, oh, there's a larger scale here. Right. A larger perspective. If what I, is this brownie about? If I don't remember it, I'm going to get pulled back in because of... Because to thinking of, that the brownie is the point. Because the biological impulses are so strong and because the cultural ones are so strong right. as well. Right, Want, want, want. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Yeah, yeah, you need yeah. more. Eat this. Do this. Feel this. Be, yeah. you know. If you're not regularly checking in to maintain that discipline of like... Right. Oh, yeah. Then you'll get pulled back in. Right. But that may or may not... You, and this is why I think you're like a Buddha. You know, you're just like fully present. I mean, eat the freaking brownie. <laughs> eat the brownie. Love the brownie. The brownie is like a playground. Just like be in the brownie. It's great. Are there nuts in that brownie? Uh, they're whatever you want there to be in uh, that brownie. Whatever is in the brownie. Whatever is in the brownie. <laughs> the brownie is what it is. It just is. Uh-huh. There was somebody who made some brownies on the retreat or like some cake. It smelled so good. I was like, oh, I want to eat that. Yeah. Noticing that pleasure, noticing that craving, noticing the craving. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun to get. Yeah, it's so funny that like these places where I'm like, oh, just eat the fucking brownie. <laughs> I can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's that's partly the point to get to. Yeah. I can understand that. And getting there is a different story. Like experiencing it right. is a different story. And, and like we were saying, here's another fine line. The fully being present and experiencing it and enjoying it and having this, you know, here's an abstract way of saying it, having the perception and sensation move through the mind-body system. Mm-hmm. Here's, I, I'm experiencing a kiss. 
wow, what is this moving through? Versus like, mm, I'm there. I want more. I just <laughs> I want, want more, more of it. Yeah. And so like, it's so easy to slip from that moment of like real presence into the nah, 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 chomping. Like the hunger? Cra- yeah, craving, 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 hunger, thirst, yeah, yeah, like yeah. insatiable yeah. thing, right? Reflexive, like, yeah. It's kind of autopilot maybe is right. a good word. Right, right, right. Are you really there? I like this and I want more of it. It's like, hold on, hold on. There's like an assumption that you want more of it. Yep. But like, check in with yourself. When you go get the latte, the pumpkin spice latte, as it is Halloween. Uh, oh yeah, happy Halloween. <laughs> after the first two sips... Are you drinking the rest of it out of obligation? Right. Are you really enjoying it? Is it like, well, I bought this, so I should finish it? You know, it was like, maybe it's just the first two. Maybe you just bought that latte for the first two sips. You know, or even the feeling of it being warm in your hand. Yeah. And seeing the whipped cream on top. So I carry it around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Because we we construct these things. God, we construct so much. About... Who, should. What, what should be true and who we are. And How things go. Let me tell you about how I am so that you'll like me and then you'll approve of me. And one of the things I'm really challenging myself now coming out of this retreat to do is to notice in what ways do those pleasures or hungers drive my interactions with people yeah. and my tendency to objectify them. Objectify people? For the things I want. Like yeah, what? Including Can my you, friends. Like right? what? Okay, so I was thinking about you. Yeah. I, I recognize that one of the benefits I get from our friendship is connection to all the people that you know who love you, uh-huh. who think you're great. And so by being seen with you, by being associated with you, I look good to those people. Uh-huh. And that gives me a little boost. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm having a conversation with some new person I meet at Bats Improv. And I say, oh, let me tell you about our podcast. Yeah. I do this podcast with Lisa Rowan. Do you know Lisa Rowan? They go, I love Lisa. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do a podcast with her, right? Uh-huh. There's an element of... That's fine to notice that that's there. Yeah. But I don't want that to drive my connection with you. Right. Like I'm using you to get other people's... Can I notice that, acknowledge it, and when that... Keep it in check. When it comes up, say, okay, I see you. Yeah. It's nice that you're there, fine. But it's not... It's, I'm not going to grip around it and like... Hold tight to it. Mm-hmm. Part of that means I'm going to cultivate my friendships that have nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to spend time on my own. I'm going to keep coming back to paying attention to you as mm-hmm. opposed to what you give to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's when I can clear this other stuff out, I can be way more present for you as you are rather than you as something that's going to get me something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, there's still those primary pleasures like. You make me laugh. That yeah. feels good. Right. Right. Or I feel seen or supported. Or I get to care for you, take you to the airport, and I feel good about that. Like, those are primary pleasures, too. Yeah. And there's something about just, yeah, clear that stuff out so you can actually be here with who is this person right now? Yeah. What do they need right now that's different than what I think of Lisa Rowland as being, or I think Lisa Rowland, my friend, being? Right. Who is this person now? Right. Does that make sense? Uh huh. Yeah. So the constru- and we construct together. We like participate in these things. We're like, oh, now I'm a podcast co-host. What does that mean? Who is that in the world? Well, I wasn't that two years ago. 
Yeah. Right? And so what what do I get out of saying that to myself Ah, or to other people? Yeah. I was traveling to Thailand in the spring, and my friend Pla told me about a... So one of the the traditions is you go in to the temple, and you, you you can, for a donation for a price you know a little you can buy a little flake of gold little it's like a little it's a it's like a like an inch square kind of like a little sheet like a little sheet of gold sheaf yeah and it's between two pieces of paper and you peel the paper back and you take the gold out and you put it on the buddha hmm. it's on the up and up in the front of the temple and yeah. so you there's like sometimes it's a thing where you walk around it or sometimes you just approach the buddha and put the gold on the Buddha, and she said there's a saying, which is, put the gold on the back of the Buddha, which is giving in a way that nobody can tell that you've given. Mm. So giving giving in a way that is not visible. Mm-hmm. Contributing, paying homage, worshipping in a way that nobody sees you doing it. So nobody can see, you You know, instead of putting the, bo- the, the gold on the heart of the Buddha, or on the face of the Buddha, mm-hmm. or on the hand, in the palm of the hand of the Buddha, or whatever, you put it on the back of the Buddha. Nobody can see it, it's not going to get you any credit. Um, and it feels like what you're talking about is like putting the gold on the back of the Buddha in a way, or being comfortable yeah. being like, I'm going to do what I'm doing. I might not tell this person that I'm a po- that, I, that I do a podcast with Lisa Rowland. I might not tell this person, you know, it's like, I might not mention it. And it, mm-hmm. what if I'm okay without them knowing that about me? What if I'm okay without them knowing that I'm a podcast co-host or that I'm writing a book or that I'm yeah. whatever? What if they don't know? That's right. What if they never know? I still am that thing. Or or maybe that thing is just something that I do, or that's a part of me now, yeah, and exactly. it's changing it's, it's, and shifting. It's happening, but it, yeah. out of day, you don't need to know that in order for me to feel valid in this conversation or right. whatever. Um, I, this mantra of "What if I'm okay?" Mm. Like this question of like, "What if I'm okay without that? What yeah. if I'm okay without them knowing? What if I'm okay without getting that job? What if it's still okay? What if it's okay that I failed at this? What if it's okay that I might fail at this? What if it's okay that I..." Didn't do this right. What if it, you know, like, yeah. what if it's okay? It's like this relaxing part. Like, sounds oh. exactly just what I was going to say. What if yep. whatever's happening is okay? Just uh, I'm okay. accept it. Yeah. yeah. And so often I feel like those those drives for those pleasures are come from this fear that I'm not going to be okay unless I have this thing. Yes. Unless I get this thing, I'm going to miss it. I'm not going to be a part of things. I'm going to be left out. I'm not going to belong. I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be, yeah. I won't have access to my pleasures. One of those things. Like I'm going to be, this is going to, I'm not going to be okay unless I, unless I do that. And, and the incredible experience of realizing like, well, what if I'm okay? Mm-hmm. I think I'm okay. I'll still be okay. And then when you get to that space, that's when you can then trust emergence. Mm-hmm. Like Something it, else will be there. So what's coming up? We, we use this image of uh, awareness coming adjacent to actuality. So the mindfulness, a pause, is is awareness kind of coming... I, I thought of it as like a boat arriving at a dock. Uh-huh. Like, so there's this little boat pulling up to the dock, coming adjacent to this reality that is there on the shore. Yeah. And then while the boat is there on the dock, there's like a few things go back and forth, maybe some spices, some barrels of rum, you know... <laughs> Some clothes, textiles. I love this a, boat. A few scrolls yes. of awareness go back some and forth. Some rats and cats and yeah. things, yeah. <laughs> some scurvy. Some scurvy. <laughs> between reality and awareness. And then awareness pulls us off and kind of goes back into the ocean of being and then comes up, sidles up against some other reality a moment later. Uh, love that image. Huh. Can you 
bring your boat. Can you bring your boat up to whatever is true? Yeah. But the part of doing that is getting rid of this like sticky notion of the Whoa, self. Oh, there's something also really cool about like what are you carrying in your boat? Mm-hmm. Like what's what's already in your boat that means you don't have room for Ooh, yeah. anything in the moment that you're that you've docked up right. next to. Right. That's interesting. Right. If you come off the cruise ship, <laughs> you come off the cruise ship and you're like, I'm gonna go get some pictures. I'm gonna go into the town and buy some you know, another T-shirt. Yeah. Or a little coconut, a little coconut cup. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't even notice, like, there's actually, you know, different animals on this island. If you, yeah. But the this self is so sticky, and like this, the way we construct ourselves keeps yeah. coming back so fast. Yeah. And we were in one conversation. We were joking about how, it's like. You can get going with all this constructed self, and then you have a part of you that this meditative or mindful part that comes in is like a cuts through the illusion and just whew, yeah, everything goes away. You're like, that's not me. I let go of that. And then there's another part of you that rises up and goes, Ah, I'm now the one who cuts through the illusion. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah. It's like this like, self-generating thing in us is so strong. Yeah. The image we I have ha- to know. The image I have was like, you know when you try to pick up cellophane off a rug? Yeah. And it sticks on your finger, and you're like, oh, let me take it off my finger. And then it's stuck to the other finger? Yeah. Like, that's this self thing in us. It just, like, wants to keep... Clinging. Clinging yeah. to some... I mean, it, it is so... It's human nature, I think. We learn to survive by categorizing, figuring out who we are and who we aren't, and how we fit in, and what... You know, like... I'm watching my niece... She's a little bit past this, but she went through a period where she was like, you're a boy, huh? I'm a girl. You're a girl. You know, like, like wanting to know what she is compared to what the other people around her are. Yeah. You know, and that there's something really important about that. Yes. And so it's working against something really sort of profoundly important in terms of like development to be like, you are just what you are and you needn't have a name. Right. I I think it's hugely important developmentally. Yeah. Because of the things we were saying, evolutionary. It's like uh, all these, deve- like, developmentally, we need to know that we have enough food to eat, and we need to have, and we need to be totally witnessed in a really important right. way, and we need to be seen, and we need to not be, you know, left out in the elements. Like, all these things, as we are forming, and if, if those things go well, I think it's much easier later to let, to, to sort of detach yourself from the need for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. you've created a, sort of a secure, a secure attachment. And like, secure, you like, all, all those Child development things. It's a really interesting thing. It's like you can feel freer to then pursue the higher level, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Totally. Stuff. It's like, are these things taken care of? Yeah. Cool. I Is think we got to think we, we got to pause. Oh God, we sure do. Yeah. Let's yeah, pa- it's been a long time. Pause, relax, open. <laughs> so maybe we'll continue some of this conversation later because you got to. Go, what are you getting a haircut? I gotta go get a haircut. Are you going to do something crazy? No. Mohawk? No. It's Halloween. Yeah. That's right. That would just satisfy my need to be seen momentarily. Your, speaking of being seen and things attaching to identity, your hair is like part of the Lisa Rowland gig. For sure. Gig. So For that, sure. It's, 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 it would be fascinating to think, like, what would happen if your... Signature piece. If your signature piece was gone. Yeah, if I shaved my head. Who would Lisa Rowland be? I remember I straightened my hair once. And I looked in the mirror and I felt like part of my soul was gone. Wow. I was like, 
No. No, no, no. Like something essential is missing. Wow. It's really interesting. That's so cool. I know. I, of course, don't have that feeling anymore. But you still have a signature. You have a signature look. Being bald, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and the goatee. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like that, you know, the absence of hair is just as striking as a lot of hair. Right. Yeah, For if I went and put a wig on, it'd be like, is that Ted? Yeah, it'd be different. Yeah. And you'd still be you. I'd still be me. I shaved off my goatee in 2010 when I went to Calgary for an improv thing for two weeks because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to play more characters. It's funny that you think that your goatee affects what, how many characters you can play. I think it affects particularly gender stuff. Yeah, I don't. So you're a better improviser than I am. <laughs> well, but, but, but the when I shaved my goatee, I felt like I looked like a turtle. Just a big bald head, a little a few wrinkles here and there. I was like, <laughs> but all right, all right well, let's we, wrap this business yeah, you up. You gotta get your haircut. Gotta get my haircut. Um, but to be continued, and uh, thanks for the conversation. That's, mm-hmm. that's good fun. I like, I love the challenge too. Yeah. So, all right, all we'll, right. we'll be back. Get out of here. Ciao. So there it is, episode number 33. 33? Yeah. Awesome. Larry Bird. I hope you liked it. Do you know who Larry Bird is? A basketball player. Yeah, he played for the Boston Tall Celtics. and white. There you go. Eh, there we go. I could have assumed tall. I the, didn't have the, to know anything. The Hick from French Lick. That was his nickname. Oh. French Lick, Indiana. Cool. French Lick? It sounds like some sort of intimacy. It's a sexual act. <laughs> Give her a French Lick. Well, did you? Well, anyway, uh, tell me, Ted. Yes, Lisa. How was that? How how was that conversation? Uh, In terms of your processing, your sort it's of... re- it was really interesting because I have you know so I'm still in this mode of like feeling more aware. I'm like I'm just really stimulated by all this stuff that I got exposed to, and the thing about these kind of retreats. Every time I've been on a retreat like this, it ups my commitment to getting more present uh-huh. and to letting go of the things that I don't need. And so it felt like a little bit like that was happening in the conversation. Cool. But I'm even, like, I'm just really motivated for that. So I'm Great. excited to get to connect with you and share about that. Yeah, lovely. And to have it be so soon after coming back home. Yeah. How was it for you? Great. I also liked voicing my, <laughs> my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Great to hear about it. It has it has wet my appetite for exploring something like this. Maybe like a three day, yep. a three day situation at Spirit Rock or something. I might try something like that, just to see. I'd be just so fascinated for what your experience see would be. See what like. that would be like. All, All right, right. Uh, let's let these people go. Yeah, and I'm let gonna go my, get my haircut. Let my people go. You yeah. get your haircut. I already shaved this morning. Great. So we're set. We're good to go there, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Now, hey, any reactions? Interesting thoughts. Info at monsterbabypodcast.com. Always. And come join us in Maine, June 8 to 13 or something. 8 to 13. Um, And if you're interested in more about Insight Dialogue, check out Gregory Kramer's book, Insight Dialogue. Or you can go to the website that coordinates all that stuff. It's called meta.org. M-E-T-T-A. Org, which is the word for loving kindness. Cool. Really great group. And he's a really, really clear thinker and makes... Buddhist principles, really practical and engaging. Awesome. So uh, I strongly recommend it. Great. But listeners, thank you for being with us. 
We'll we, see you next time. We love you. Big hugs and uh, adios. Bye.